0: Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson, and this is The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo. The crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me here on The Crime Couch. It's going to be one heck of a journey. Brian the Skull Murphy was a copper from the good old days. The former Victoria Police Detective Sergeant built a fearsome reputation with police and criminals. He was the winner of a Valor Award, charged and acquitted of a homicide and falsely accused of an underworld hit. At 90 years of age, Brian sadly passed away on the 25th of April, 2023, surrounded by his family who he adored. This is the first of a two-part interview with Brian, who I spoke to when I was writing Billy Longley's biography in 2004. He talks about the painters and dockers, when he first met the Texan, and when he was suspended in 1971.
1: Brian, when did you work down the docks? Worked in South Melbourne and uh, Port Melbourne for a period, area of time over the years, you know, which took in and encompassed all that area of the docklands. I grew up in that area. So nothing was uh, foreign to me. Everything was self-explanatory. I knew where everybody lived. I knew where the the barrels were. I knew where the two-ups were. I knew where the drink-ons were. I knew the pub to where you could pick these blokes up after hours. How would you describe those days of the Dockland
2: Wars in Melbourne in the 70s? Oh,
1: it was typical of most probably what had happened in America in 1928 and uh, to a lesser degree, but it was what every young policeman got his rocks off about because we grew up with the advent of television and Elliot Ness. And the untouchable are on, and and whether you like it or not, as a policeman, you think, Jesus, this is going to be good, you know. And that kind of that's the kind of uh, way that some policemen accepted it as a, a challenge, and uh, the goodies against the baddies. But there's no animosity between the goodies and the baddies. It was only a game. If you caught them today, and uh, they beat it, well, you know either you the the uh, an expendable commodity and somebody else would either take their place doing the same things or the same blokes to come up again. And so, you know, it was no good of getting upset about it because we had families in the area and they had families and we never ever had any problems with uh, searching of the houses because we used to treat the women well. The women were starting from behind scratch, they usually had a house full of kids with insufficient money because the Quinn never paid. gave them the money, he used to waste it on booze and other shares. Uh, when you search the house, uh, you say to them, oh my, uh, this is great, you're doing an excellent job here under the circumstances. And you get outside the box and say, oh, thanks for not upsetting the missus, mate, you know, I know the place is like a shit house, but it's not my fault. It was their fault, but because you treated their women right, they never got dark on you. And your kids could walk the street and take it theirs and acknowledge one another if they knew that that was a villain to make any difference. How did the Victoria Police view the painters and dockers? Well, basically they were a pack of scumbags. Uh, This was the general opinion of them. And they reveled in that idea. The the villains, you know, they knew what the police thought of them. And they're quite proud of themselves. You see, a lot of blokes become painters and dockers during the war stop going to war. And uh, not all of them. And there's some good blokes there that are down the docks. And there's most probably still a lot of good blokes down there, most probably in the minority and most probably you don't hear of them. They're just the same as uh, any other occupation. They took them on and uh, most probably took a portion of their wages for giving them a job. And uh, this made it so lucrative because they were running a heap of ghosts down there. I suppose, same as the drug wars today, it's only a different commodity to make money out and get a few quid together.
2: When did you first meet Billy Longley?
1: It was after he uh, shot the, the, the father and the two sons down at the Rose Russian Grand Crown. Hotel. It was some months after that. i have never physically spoken to him, but I had been in hotels where he was. I had no cause to speak to him. No, Billy wouldn't be a bloke who'd come up and say, listen, I'm Billy Longley. Uh, But what are you doing here? Like some of the blokes would. He'd just stand back and uh, wouldn't even acknowledge you. But if a blue started, Billy just uh, give them the nod to cut it out while he was in the pub. He most probably could have had a hiding if he got in the pub and he wasn't there. And he'd most probably cop it and give it back just the same. there numerous occasions he's been in a pub, different pubs, and the uh, Blues have started when, as soon as the police walked in, they, you know, they give you all the descriptions about your relations and that, and your mother and father, and, uh, and they know that they're going to get locked up and get a hiding for it. There's what, going to be a Blue. What were your, your first impressions of him when you met him at that court case? Well, he said nothing. He, well, he said nothing at... Uh, I didn't hear him in the witness box. So I gave my evidence, that's for Port Melbourne, for the committal proceedings, for the shooting. I wasn't in the court when I gave evidence. As I entered the court and got in the witness box, I was standing in the witness box looking down at him. I think Frank Galbally appeared for him then, and he just nodded his head. Nothing of any great gesture about it. And most probably, the magistrate might have noticed it, or the clerk of court, but I think it went by everybody else's head. For him to acknowledge me in court as much just to say, well, you know, I'm not crooked, I know you've got a job to do. And he's never, ever asked me about a job I'm doing. i never tell him. He was just another bloke. A very gentlemanly spoke to most probably most people.
2: How would you describe your rapport with him now?
1: or your report with him in those days? I gave evidence for him when he got charged with the receiving. I was approached by a solicitor. I forget who the solicitor was now. If I give evidence on on his behalf in relation to his standing in this area as far as I was concerned. And um, I was subpoenaed. I was told not to go. I said, well, who's going to going to pay my fine if I don't turn up and they said well get up there and don't do anything to help him but I went up there and I told them what I knew and the judge thanked me he said um, your evidence has uh, been very fair he said no, I appreciate what you've told me he said but uh, I can't take it into consideration because this man has received money from most probably one of the biggest um, robberies this country has ever seen he said, then he's got to be treated with uh, dealt with accordingly. Thank you very much for coming, and I must uh, commend you on the way he gave you gave your evidence. That what money comes from the American Railway Yards in Sydney, I think. I think it was £125,000, or dollars, whichever the case. And uh, I just uh, told him what I knew about him. Uh, how he'd been in, in hotels and uh, I'd been in there and the fact that I was the policeman and he, he didn't want any trouble where he drank and most probably saved me from getting kicking on numerous occasions. Really? Yeah, and, and that's all I said. How was it viewed by the Victorian police? Well, see a lot of the bosses were country boys and they'd never had, they'd never grew up with villains. In country towns there were the buildings of the, of the country town might be the local uh, rapist or who would uh, these days would be a joke and, and most probably in those days member of the local football team or, or somebody that was the town drunk somebody wanted to fight every time he got drunk they, they were the villains that they were used to but we grew up seeing all these blokes grow up and um, luckily we had the parents we did and they said we'd catch it my father was a probation officer and he used to say, if I catch you with any of those boys so and so-and-so, so-and-so, so and so, I'll give you the best tanning you've ever had. And so you were warned up and you are told why before you got yourself mixed up with them. And I knew them and there was nothing for me to say good day to them. Because a lot of them I'd gone to school with, both at South Melbourne and West Melbourne. What were the qualities that appealed to you? Billy is a pretty deep thinker very wily if anything in those days it was a game he never asked me to do anything i never asked him what he did i was suspended in 1971. there's a lot of allegations that they're going to kill the kids and they're going to kill me and blow the house up and everything so i rang Billy at the painters doctors rooms i rang him and i said listen i said you know who it is he said i've got a fair idea I said, he said, do you want me to come down to meet you? I said, no. I said, all I want of you is a guarantee that my wife, the kids, and the house that left alone. He said, oh, he said, I'll see what I can do, Blah yeah, blah blah. Anyhow, did we have the phone on then, love? Yeah. Yeah. He used to ring. Uh, yeah, that's right, yeah. So anyhow, he rang me, and uh, he said, I can guarantee you, and, and guns were drawn over that the uh, fact that I wanted a certain amount of protection from the painters and docket. It was supposed to be a painter and docket that I killed. So anyway, um, he rings me uh, about an hour later. He said, sorry to keep you waiting, Chief. Uh, he said, um, I can guarantee your wife, your kids and your, ca- uh, your house, but I can't guarantee you or your car. I said, good, thank you very much. He said, it's a pleasure. And and off he went. Who he you supposed to have killed? Who are a fellow by calling Collingwood? Oh, Collingwood. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, I didn't realise he was a painter and docker. Yeah, I can't. It wasn't. It wasn't. In fact, he was uh, just a hern and a breaker. Yeah. And when he died, there wasn't a major armed robbery in Victoria or um, Australia for about twelve months. Years. You were acquitted of that, though. Weren't yeah, you? yeah. Mm. And um, then whilst uh, whilst I was uh, suspended. The, the, this other business had blown up with Billy, and uh, he was out hiding. Sometimes he'd ring me or 3 o'clock in the morning because he couldn't sleep. And because he couldn't no, sleep, he didn't... No, no. <laughs> he reckoned I wouldn't be sleeping either. So he'd ring up and, he, and he, he... Honestly, used to talk about books that he'd read and um, uh, this and that and the other. I think they planted a couple of... Uh, thrown a couple of bombs or something at his house And he used to run through with me, who I thought may have done it. And uh, I wouldn't give him any fuel to put on the fire because he just as likely go out and think, well, Murphy's giving me the nod here. I'll uh, go out and bump that bloke if if he's that way. I don't know whether. Look, people said he's knocked this one, that one, the other one. I've never seen any proof of it. If my evidence convicted him of the the Shannon Shannon murder, Uh, I don't think it should have. It should, I should never have been in court, and he should have been judged on that uh, on what they had. So I didn't get up and tell any lies for anybody. But What was said about me telling Fry anything is a lie. Right? Uh, and and uh, the right, way he shot his wife, as the blokes would like to have done it, I don't know the, the ins and outs of that. He should try and he beat it. He was. He was now, policemen knock around with blows that have beaten things. And when the police beat something at a trial, they're heroes, and good on your mate. But when a villain beats something at a trial, they're dogs, and there's got to be something wrong with it, right? So, you've got the two standards. One's for the goodies, one for the baddies. was it
2: for you to have a rapport with with guys like Billy in those days? A policeman is only
1: as good as his information. Blokes like Billy would be very hard to get any information out, out of. But the fact that you could talk to him and get a guarantee on your house and your wife and your children, to me, that was worth more than all the educated university degrees that you could get as a result of mixing with the police department. They couldn't give me a guarantee. They did the best they could, and I appreciate what they did for me when I was suspended. But they couldn't have stopped somebody running in here with a gun, you know, when I wasn't here. So you are talking about the...
2: The 72, when you were charged with manslaughter and later yeah. acquitted yeah. of Neil Collingburn, yeah. the guy died of internal injuries yeah. after being questioned over a bag of stolen golf clubs. Yeah. Like, as far as you're concerned, like, why were the painters and dockers
1: after you as a result of that, Brian? Uh, well, there was a fellow by the name of Thomas Joseph Canellan, an armed robber and a thief and a drug dealer, and a bloke by the name of Ian Rebel Carroll. Uh, one of the top armed robbers in Victoria today, mm-hmm. at that time. And they were getting in and out of the docks, working down there. Mm-hmm. Carroll has since been shot dead, and so has Kanunma, by their own mobs. I think uh, Mad Dog Cox got mm-hmm. in, rebel Carroll. And I'm not sure who shot Tommy Kenama. Mm-hmm. These two guys said that I did something I didn't do. Mm-hmm. And they had a solicitor by the name of Terry O'Brien, backed them up. They cooked up a story, mm-hmm. but their story fell apart in court, like a water gun fell off on the back of a truck. It just opened up everywhere. And the judge, in fact, uh, declared that I hadn't done. Not one action of mine could have caused this man to lose his life. But the fact that I was a senior man in the room, not stationed there, but had come in, if I had started, and I'd stopped it, maybe the Crown... The crown said that I should have done more than what I'd done. I didn't even know the bloke had gone to hospital until two days later. Mm-hmm. Old man Colin Boom was a painter and docker, and at that particular point in time, I worked on the Westgate Bridge doing the, as a security for the wages. And because of the union man losing his life, they wouldn't let me. The unions wouldn't let me work on the, uh, the uh, Westgate Bridge anymore doing the payrolls. And, um, and Painters and
2: doctors also were after you as a result of supposedly being, what, in the room or responsible? Yeah, yeah
1: responsible, because a lot of painters and doctors have been crooked up there for years. And they had uh, people, maybe some of the people in the homicide were fence of theirs, and they were getting a little bit of information because the pathologist was a drunk, And uh, he used to drink with them all at Mrs. Murphy's Hotel up there at uh, Colin Centenary, Mm -hmm. and at the Council Club in Cecil Street, South Melbourne. He used to drink with all the painters and doctors and everything. A couple of members of the Homicide used to drink with him and I have no doubt during their drunken meetings and drinking sessions that things like this were discussed and things were getting back to me through various people on the docks. (laughs)
2: <laughs> How do those
1: times compare with the
2: politically correct environment that the police now have to work in? How would you compare Billy with
1: today's villains? Billy may be on his own say-so or maybe on the say-so for journalists and police. I don't know whether Billy's ever admitted they mentioned 16 bodies and all this kind of stuff. He was doing what a lot of other people were doing in those days. Uh, getting in for his chop down the dock and there was big money down there, there's no doubt about that. So big that uh, the police department stopped uh, myself and several other policemen, uh, started the inquiries on the painters and droppers which turned out to be the um, Costigan Royal Commission. They panicked and they wouldn't let us go any further with any inquiries because we are getting too close to the bone. We don't know how many politicians or other people were involved in that. Billy was dealing with his own section of society where he believed that he uh, maybe should have got more than he had been getting or wanted more, and they weren't running around shooting people in public I don't think except for the Shannon murder Well they were catching and killing their own own. You Mm. see but these people we hear in the papers today, the difference between them and the ones today we hear all about the killings but we don't hear about the dead bodies that are lying around the streets and in homes and in toilets and up back lanes as a result of the trade that these killers have caused today that's the difference. They never sold anything to kids that were going to kill them. They never had drugs like they do today. And these are the people uh, that are, That's the difference in the two types of shootings.
2: Billy started in the Costigan Royal Commission, but in this period, I think it was between 58 and
1: 72, there were about 30 to 40 murders. What's your opinion? Do you think there were that amount? There's lots of blokes disappeared, and uh, fellows like that were doing armed robberies, and they are getting covered down the docks to say that on that particular day, those blokes worked down the docks. So Mm. it was a a, a facilitated alibis. The painters and doctors got along with a lot of people. Uh, David Richards rang me one morning. He said they walked into the painters and doctors' rooms with a big suitcase full of money. So I rang, I rang a couple of bosses, and they sent down an inspector and a, um, maybe a sergeant, maybe a senior constable down there, and they sat down. and they penned a the box, uh, the big bag of money, the suitcase full of money. And they told the painters and doctors how to get it into a bank under the guise of a piking fund. And it was money they saved to put in foot. Now, that money should have been grabbed and they should have been charged with a unlawful possession of it and let them prove it, but the police helped them to sort it out. And that, one of those folks is now a commander, I think. Are you saying that there was a cut involved? No, I'm, no, I don't believe there was a cut. I think they were just a well, pair of stupid idiots. They didn't know. They had a job and didn't know how to do it, yet we were taken off that job. Because we were too effective. Former homicide detective, talking about now about
2: the Shannon case.
1: Yeah.
2: Murray Burgess described the Shannon case as the only waterfront murder in Australia that was ever solved. How would you describe it?
1: The way it was solved, if it was solved, and I have certain reservations as to whether the person went to jail was the right bloke, but I didn't lose any sleep over it. And I don't think Billy lost any sleep over it, really. I don't think he wanted to be in jail, mm. but maybe uh, he was philosophical about it. said, well, you know, they got me for one, I might have got four. Mm. I don't know, I don't know how he thinks, and I've never really discussed it with him. Really, I haven't. But I know that Gary Harding was promised to be indemnified and he wouldn't be charged. He made a statement, he's only a kid, and he made a statement and then they laughed at him and he went to jail and he got stabbed to death. That's gonna to have to be on their conscience, not mine.
2: Do you think the police had a mindset regarding the Shannon matter? Do you think he ever had a chance to have a fair trial?
1: Well, when you got blokes in the homicide squad they reckoned the putty-nosed Dickles was a good bloke and he might have been to them the same as Billy, not a bad sort of a bloke to me. And they used to have a beer with them You never know what was done. You never know what they thought. But no doubt, Billy Longley was the flavour of the month. I think that no matter which way you look at it, everybody was happy to see him go to jail. It didn't make me happy. It didn't make me sad because, as far as I was concerned, he was convicted of it and too bloody bad.
0: We'll continue the Skulls story in part two of his interview on the Crime Couch. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson, and I look forward to your company next time on the Crime Catch.